Greetings in the name of the Lord Jesus. It's a special blessing for every one of us to have been here in these past days, and I certainly joy with you all for the blessings of fellowship we have received from the Lord and with his people. Before we begin, I just want to take a brief moment to share with you, uh, who may not have known, that uh, Brother Avram Andre um, was transferred yet another time yesterday to another hospital where he was scheduled to undergo surgery today. Yesterday was a good day for him and the family, Brother Danny in particular. As I spoke with him, they were very thankful for what they saw yesterday. The surgeons were positive going into the surgery, but I've been unable to hear from them today or contact them today to know how it went. They covet your prayers, they appreciate it, and they do send their love and greetings to you. Now with that, let's bow our heads before the Lord. God Almighty, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, thy Son and our Savior, we come before thee. And this evening, asking for a blessing, for a visitation of thy Spirit, even as he has already been with us in this day and in this week, and even in this program and in the songs that have been sung. Now, God, our Father, we pray and ask, be with us now. Father, thy servant is so unable Thy spirit is so needed, not just for him, but for this assembly. And so we entreat thee, O God, be with us. In the name of thy Son, amen. First Kings chapter 18, if you wish to follow, I'd like to read a few verses. Verse number 18. Verse 17. And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, and that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel. And the prophets of Baal, 450. And the prophets of the groves, 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together into Mount Carmel. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. Then said Elijah unto the people, I, even I only, remain a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let them therefore give us two bullocks, and let them choose one bullock for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on wood, and put no fire under, and I will dress the other bullock, and lay it on wood, and put no fire under. And call ye on the name of your gods." And I will call in the name of the Lord, and the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, It is well spoken. And Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal, Choose you one bullock for yourselves, and dress it first, for ye are many, and call on the name of your gods, but put no fire under. And they took the bullock which was given them, and they dressed it, 
and called on the name of Baal from morning even until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, nor any that answered. And they leaped upon the altar which was made, and it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is talking, or he is pursuing, or he is in a journey, or peradventure he sleepeth and must be awaked. And they cried aloud, and they cut themselves after their manner with knives and lancets till the blood gushed out upon them. And it came to pass when midday was past that they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, and there was neither voice nor any to answer nor any that regarded. And Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him. It is a dark time in the nation of Israel. And as we will go through this chapter, however God would lead us this evening to do so, I believe that he will be able to show us the parallels of of the lessons that we can take and appropriate from this time for our own time, for surely there are many parallels, I believe. And it seems to me that every generation has had this challenge since time immemorial to know and to understand God for who he really is and not for what we want him to be. To know God as he has revealed himself and as he knows himself to be and not as we imagine or would want him to be. This, I believe, has been a challenge for every generation that has walked the earth. And so as Elijah called the people to come near unto him, the people came near and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the son of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two measures of seed. He put the wood in order. He cut the bullocks in pieces and laid him on the wood and said, Fill four barrels with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. He said, Do it the second time. And they did it the second time. And he said, Do it the third time. And they did it the third time. That's 12 barrels of water on the bullock which is situated on 12 stones. And the water ran about the altar, and, filled the, and he filled the trench also with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and, Jake, and, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art their Lord God, and thou hast turned their heart back again. And then the fire of the Lord fell, and consumed the burnt sacrifice, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, The Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. And Elijah said unto them, Take the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they took them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. 
to understand God for who he really is. It startles me, it, or maybe it's better to say, it really puzzles me. It catches my attention. Let's put it that way. It catches my attention in this chapter that when Elijah said, How long do you hold between two opinions? If, he, if the Lord is God, worship him. If it's Baal, worship him. And the people answered not a word. The people of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob answered not a word. When the prophets said, if the Lord is God, and they were silent. They were silent. There was their God who had delivered them from Egypt. It was their God who had chosen them from all the nations of the world. It was their God who this Elijah came in the name of. It was their God who raised up David, who established Solomon, who gave them the kingdom who gave them the promised land. It was their God. And when the prophet said to them, if the Lord is God, and they were silent. What brings people to such a point in their life? When the truth is evidently set before them, and their heart and their soul is empty, and they are unable to utter a word, to praise the God that made them, the God of their fathers. What brings people to such a point that they would cry aloud, the prophets of Baal now I refer to, and that they would cut themselves and destroy themselves and make themselves bleed for their God? What brings people to such a point? You know, idolatry is something that is hard for me to understand but it is something that is throughout the scriptures, the idolatry of the people and of the people of God. When Moses told the people in commandment number two, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, nor bow down and worship it and serve it. And we think to ourselves, how can it be? A man's walking through the forest. He picks up from the floor of the woods a piece, a branch, a dead piece of wood. He takes it to an artisan, someone who is able to carefully craft it and carve it into an image. He adorns it, he details it, and then he sets it on an altar, and then he puts his face down to the ground before it. How can it be that men and women would take a rock or a stone, and they would put it together and give it to somebody to again to shape it and to form it and to make it into a figurine. And then when the figurine is completed, they would receive it back at him, from him for a price. They would put it on an altar and they would come and they would bow the knee. Does it make any sense? We think to ourselves, could people be so blind? Was it because they were so primitive? Is it because that they were so lacking in intelligence or not educated that they would do such a thing? Why would a man take something from the floor of the, of the forest and then shape it into a god, into an idol? Have you seen these idols before? I've seen them when we go to museums. You can see them on the display case. They're not always large and huge imposing uh, statues, but sometimes they are small little idols, small little carvings. Situated, you put a, probably a dozen on your coffee table. 
And as they would craft these things in all sizes and shapes, and they would bow the knee, what brings people to such a point? The challenge, I believe, of every generation has been to know God for who He really is. The God of the Scriptures, the God of Genesis 1-1, the God of Revelations 22-21, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. To know Him as He is, this has been the challenge. And God has done much to reveal Himself to us. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth forth His handiwork. Day into day utter the speech, and night into night showeth forth knowledge. Showeth forth knowledge. There is no speech, nor language, where the voice is not heard. Through all that we see with our eyes, through all that we hear with our ears, it is a testimony to the existence of one true God. Is it not so? Is it not as we watch the ocean, as we walk through the forest, as we fly through the air on the airplanes, and we look down below, cannot we see with our eyes that this is the work of a God, of one God? All of this is a testimony to the existence of the one true God. And not only this, beloved, but God has brought yet much more evidence for us in his holy and written word. No book to be compared with this book. No book that could ever possibly be put in the same class, translated into almost every language, read by millions and millions down throughout the ages. No book ever so subject to attack. And yet it's with us today, praise God. And not only so, but through the lives of those that have been changed by a true encounter with Jesus Christ, it is yet another testimony to the existence of the one true God. The God, when his prophet spoke, the people were silent. Out of fear, out of ignorance, out of bondage to the idolatry that they had compromised themselves into. How can it be that people come to a place of idolatry? Beloved, God has done much as we struggle with the question of how do we know the God who is, for who he really is, and not what we want to make him out to be. Because I'm sure that every generation, if we will study, we will find that people have made God in their own hands to be, and through their own thoughts, imagine him to be what they want him to be. And yet they come enslaved to such a God like that? Beloved, it is clear. It is not only God who is there on the one hand to help us understand who he really is, but on the other hand, there is a dark kingdom. There is another spirit who is, who is intent to divert our worship from the one true God, who is intent to blind our eyes from knowledge of the one true Yahweh, that we would not understand him. We know who the scripture declares him to be. Lucifer and all of his angels that have fallen with him. All those that have rebelled against God Almighty. And just look down throughout the ages, down throughout every culture, and look what has happened through these idols. Look how people have worshipped. You know, beloved, it is not because they were lacking intelligence that these men would cut themselves with their knives till they bled. They understood that the piece of wood from the forest floor was a piece of wood. But for them it represented a greater force that they feared and that they served. There were demons and there are demons 
who have continually worked to impersonate the gods and goddesses that these people would serve. And there is an empowerment that takes place. You know, when Janus and Jambres, those two magicians in Egypt, when they withstood Moses, what did they do? Some of the very miracles that Moses and Aaron could do. And how do you think they could turn a piece of wood into a snake or water into blood? Not by God. But there are demons who are more than happy to work behind the scenes, empowering or using the the masquerade of various idols and gods and goddesses to keep the people from the knowledge of the one true God who is blessed forever, the God and Father, the Lord Jesus Christ that we have worshipped this week, the God and Father we speak about this very moment, the God that Elijah was referring to. Beloved, idolatry, as we look through the Old Testament, was not a result of lack of education. It was not a result of a lack of intelligence. It was a spiritual involvement and always has been. And this idolatry brought them to such a place of enslavement that the things they did are wicked to think of, let alone that they did these things. You just look at some of the gods and goddesses that the scripture speaks of. Baal, this god that we read about here. The Lord, the possessor, his name means the one that the people wanted prosperity from, the one that the people were willing to give homage to in order that they might receive something in return from Baal. Success. Wealth. Fulfillment. Advancement. And as it would seem to them, to many, that it worked Many of the nations around them worshipped this God. And they could see some successes among them. And they were willing to experiment. The people of Israel were. Baal. He was worshipped with his wife Ashtaroth. The goddess of fertility. And all manner of immorality can be ascribed back to this worship of Ashtaroth. And these gods and goddesses though given these names in the scripture, have often throughout the history of mankind been replicated, duplicated, just adjusted to fit a new culture, a different culture, but all these various attributes they had would yet be manifested all throughout the ages. You will find Ashtaroth, I'm sure, as we would look at the history of the world many times and time again as she is worshipped, the goddess of immorality, And what of Molech? You remember reading of Molech? The God, the God, with a small g, of course. How God said through Jeremiah, it never entered my mind what the people do in their worship of Molech. And what did they do in their worship of Molech? They're outside of Jerusalem, the Valley of Hinnom. They're in the place called Tophet. And why did they call it that? Because it referred to the drums that were used in the worship of Molech. When the people, to show their devotion to God at Molech, would bring various sacrifices, 
And there were fire. There was fire that was set there by the statue of Molech. And this hideous looking idol was there with outstretched arms. Indeed, a furnace that they burned a, a, a bright, a, a strong fire beneath. It was one thing when they brought the animals, but history is clear. That's not all they brought. When mothers would bring their sucking child and give it to the priest, and the priest would put it on the arms of this idol that was red hot with a fire beneath it, and the child was burned alive. This was the worship of Molech, and the reason for the drums was that it would drown out the cries of the children, burning in honor of Molech. And my, my beloved, is it not a spiritual enslavement, this idolatry, this wickedness, that God said the land that was promised to Israel would vomit out its inhabitants because of this wickedness that they did? And this is why God would come and give Israel this land instead of those who were there before for the abominations they did. It is an idolatry, it is wicked, and it was a stench to God. And God said, never came to my mind, but his judgment was sure and swift on people of such depravity. And Elijah said, If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. And the people answered him not a word. Coming to such a point of compromise, the nation of Israel were unable to utter a word for God. How do people come to this point? Beloved, it is a spiritual enslavement, this idolatry. But do you think, do you think, that idolatry is only a thing of the Old Testament. I know, I believe it is a conviction, I believe of all brothers and sisters here, as we go through the scripture, it is clearly present with us today. Idolatry. Oh, we can look at other cultures. We can see that some of them continue to have these gods and goddesses, their temples with their stone idols in them. We can say, idol, idol, idol. We can see all these things. And we realize it's nothing. An idol's nothing. It's dead. The prophet Elijah was mocking them. Where is your God? He doesn't answer. It's not because there is no demons involved in this worship of Baal, but because God had prohibited them from making any answer when Elijah was there among Carmel with them. But do you think it's a thing of the past? I, I think not. I think not. I know not. This idolatry, we look, we see things today. But I'm afraid that it's, and I've shared this with many, I will say it again. We recognize idols of different cultures much easier than we recognize idols in our culture. We recognize idols of other cultures much easier than we recognize the idols of our culture. Here in the Western world, do we really think that demons are not here in the West? 
that they are not using the same methods that have been so successful for them for thousands of years. Is partial birth abortion any less monstrous than a woman placing her child on the arms of Molech? You see, one of the, one of the subtleties of, our, of the dark king, Satan himself, is that he is more than glad to hide. He is more than glad if he is never recognized. He has but one goal, and that is to divert you from God Almighty and to divert me from him. And whether we worship him in a thousand or ten thousand forms, it matters little to him, but it does matter to him that you know not Jesus Christ. It does matter to him that you know not the God of the Scriptures. And if you choose Hinduism, if you choose Islam, if you choose the various movements, the various false religions, cults, whatever they might be, if you choose atheism, he cares little. Because he knows it is not a question of if, if you will worship. He knows that we are spiritual. God has made us that way. My friend, you are spirit. There is a spiritual dimension to you. We are made body, soul, and spirit by God. And the spiritual nature of man cries out to be reunited with the God who created us. But in the place of that, there are countless alternatives. And in our day and age, it seems so very evident, does it not, beloved? That he has mastered, the enemy has mastered this approach of hiding himself here in America. So that people chase after many things, not for a slightest fleeting moment, thinking that it might be an idol. And Paul says, covetousness, which is idolatry. Do we think? That's just a a poetic expression. This is true. The love of money is the root of all evil. How many people love what money and wealth will bring them and are happy to stand in line for hours to, to maybe get a ticket, a lottery ticket, that they might win $10 million? How many people have, are driven by their lust and their love for money? That is an idol every much, every, every, every much, as much as Balaam is. This is not something that, as we would see it, it's just money. It's just, it's, just, it's just something material. I think we struggle here in the West realizing that these are idols. God sees this as idolatry. When we lust and covet for things that he has not given us, it is a worship of idols. What is the show that is so famous, watched by millions? What is it, American Idol? Do you think that's only entertainment? Just something that works for Hollywood to get millions and millions of people? Why is it that people have such a love for the praise of men, taking men and women relatively unknown to the, to the world, to society, to media? They have an opportunity. They have a chance to be in the spotlight. They have an opportunity that people would praise them, that people would look up to them. And that is the God and goddesses so prevalent here in the West. Not like those who built the little, took the piece of wood and made an image and put it on their altar, 
But here in the West, people build their nice altar, clean and sterile. And when all is said and done, and the top of the altar is level, they climb themselves the top of it. They have reached the pinnacle that they themselves, Paul says, in the last day, perilous time shall come because men shall be lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Men shall be lovers of their own selves. Beloved, it is an idolatry, humanism, this whole philosophy and all that comes along with it. It is an idolatry of ourselves. It is a cult of self-love. People want it, whether it's Ashtaroth and the pornography that is so prevalent today. My friend, my young, young man, old man, whoever we are, we view pornography, it is idolatry. It is idolatry. Worship of pleasure. We chase after money, and we want it so bad. It is idolatry. We have things in our lives, materialistic things, things that are so important to us. I know a man, young, young man from back home who spent so much money on his vehicle, wanted this to be the, the greatest thing. He just was devoted to it. It becomes an idol. Do you think this is just words? God doesn't. God is a jealous God. And when your devotion goes to a thing that you have made with your own hands, a thing that you have purchased with your own wallet, a thing that you have brought into your own home, God says it is an idol. And their idolatry of today is enslaving as many people as it ever has. Idols everywhere. My friend, outside of Jesus Christ, I will not ask you this evening if you believe in God. I will ask you what God do you believe in. I will not ask you if you will worship God. I will ask you to ask yourself which gods and goddesses are you worshiping? Is it the goddess Ashtaroth? Sexual pleasure? Sinful relationships? pornography, and all of the filth that goes along with it, of which the scripture says it is a shame to even speak of those things that are done to them in secret. Make no mistake, you may not call it an idol, but God does. And you are an idolatry. If it is the material things that you covet so much, your covetousness, God has but one recourse to look at that and to say, idolater. Who do you worship? The nation of Israel was silent. Perhaps it was also of shame as they heard the voice of the prophet, the one in the wilderness, saying, If the Lord be God, and the people were silent. Perhaps shame had come in over them, realizing that they had turned their back. Just like so many people today. You accuse them of idolatry and they would, re they would refuse it altogether. Do they go to church? No. But I'm not against God. I'm not against the scripture. That's fine you have the scripture. That's I, good for you. But they live their life with their back towards God as many of you do too. You don't think it is against God, your lifestyle outside of Jesus Christ? You have your back towards him. 
What is he to think of that? It is idolatry when you set your affections and your devotion and your worship on anything else other than the God of the Scriptures. And God will have no, no choice but to view it as such. And so when Elijah said to the people, Come near. The prophets were standing there. 400, was it 850 perhaps, of the two camps of prophets were together. Some of them a bloody mess because they were destroying themselves in the name of their God. Just like many people today take a life, take, their, take a path in their life that brings destruction upon themselves, looking for pleasure, looking for satisfaction, looking for fulfillment, looking for acceptance, looking for love, looking for praise, looking for for popularity, looking for so many things, but not for God. And the people came near. And Elijah repaired the altar that was broken down. Elijah by himself took 12 stones. Elijah poured 12, had 12 barrels of water poured on the altar. And Elijah cried to God. There is only one thing that can be done with your idols. But you first must realize you have idols. Ezekiel says the problem is that the idols are set up in the heart. This is the problem. The, idol the idols are here. Yes, in Ezekiel chapter 8, you can read about what men were doing in the imagination of their mind. When they thought no one was looking, no one could see what they were doing. And yet God saw and God showed Ezekiel what was taking place. They're in secrecy. Just as many people today indulge in their sins, like Jesus said, men love darkness. Why do they love darkness? Because they love their sin. My friend, do you still love your sin this week as you listen to the Word of God being shared with you in classes and inspiration hours and sermons and so forth? Do you see what your sin does for you? What does your idol do for you? What will he do for you when you come to the end of your life, as we all must die? When you cry out to your idols, what will they do for you? I want to know. You should want to know. Because that day comes to every one of us. That day comes to every one of us. I've shared with you before how a few years back, the, uh, visiting in San Jose... Uh, Sonora. <clears throat> there in the dusty courtyard of a house where a woman had just taken her life hours before. It's a casket made out of cheap wood, plexiglass covering it. The anguish on her face. Her daughter, her, it was her daughter, crying to break your heart. We're standing there, and I look at the scene. I look at the scene. And look at the, the, the plastic um, images that are set up, are situated around the casket. The picture of who they imagine the virgin to be. The crucifix. What does their God do for them? What does your God do for you? I'll tell you what our God does for us. I'll tell you what God of Jesus Christ does for us and will do for you as well. He says, Come. Come. Come to him. That's the only thing you can do with your idols. 
if you will see that you have an idol in your heart, or maybe many of these idols in your heart, there is but one thing to do with your idols. You know, Paul was stirred in his spirit when he came into Athens and he saw the city wholly given over to idolatry. He was stirred. He was grieved. He was vexed in his spirit to see this idolatry. Idols everywhere. The city filled with idols. And we, just like the Athenians, go through life not noticing them. They become so commonplace. And God says through his spirit, come out from among them and be separate and touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you and I will be a God unto you and I will be a father unto you and ye shall be my sons and daughters. Come out from among them. Paul said to the Athenians, in the past, God winked at your ignorance, but no more. God now commands all men everywhere to repent. That is all you can do with your idols, my, my dear friends. You must repent of them. You must leave them behind. They will take you to hell. They have taken many and they take many more. I think of a, of a dear friend, a few, year old, a few years older than I. We, we, we stood at his casket this past December. He reached the prime of his life, age 50 or so. Son of believers. He went through many experiences. And as his mother asked him yet again, even very recently beforehand, if he would yet turn to Jesus Christ and, and come to the Lord, and he's just, he says he's just, at that, he's just at that point to do so. He had gotten married. He was happily married and so on and so forth. But he never, like the three men we heard about this week who walked from the accident, his wife survived the accident, but he did not. You know, beloved, what does our God do for us? He tells us to come out from among them. Leave your idolatry. Repent of your sins. Realize that these things take us to hell and take thousands upon thousands to hell. And you come to Jesus Christ because Jesus said, come unto me. When we look at the word come, when we think of this invitation to come, it is an invitation to leave your idols. It is an invitation to come out from among them in order that you can come to Jesus Christ. You cannot come holding and grasping your idols in your, in your, in your fingers and stuffing them in your pockets as you come to Christ. You must leave everything behind and come on our knees and we cry out to God, be merciful to me, a sinner, an idol worshiper. I was devoted. I worshiped. I loved. I lusted things that... God said no to, and I wanted. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. This is what we can do with our idols. Repent of them. And Jesus said, come unto me and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. The bride and the spirit say, come, and whosoever is athirst, let him come. Come to Christ. Come to Calvary. Look there. You will not see an idol there at Calvary. You will see one who loved so much that he shed his blood for you. This is what our God has done. He's not like your God or goddesses who will use you and enslave you. Our God was willing to die for, it, for us. Our God loved us so much that when we were yet his enemies, he redeemed us through Jesus Christ that we could serve him without fear. 
You serve your gods and goddesses with fear. We don't have to do that. Our God loves us that much that he gave himself, not a proxy, not a substitute. He gave himself for us. That's how much our God loves us. Our God promises to return, and our God has fulfilled every promise he has made. How many promises has your God and goddesses kept for you in your life? How much fulfillment do you have? How much success do you have? And you know what? If you have fulfillment, if you have success, but you have not the God of the Scriptures, that too shall vanish away. My dear friends, I can only say, come out from among them. Be separated from these things. Touch not the unclean things. All these trappings of modern-day idolatry, which are so easy for us to become so ensnared in the church as well. Because if it is a brother who is looking at internet sites that he should not be, that too is idolatry. We ought to examine the devotion of our heart. Is it a divided loyalty? Or are we with humility before our God, repenting of our sin that we might be consecrated in His service, that He can use us to call many others who are in darkness like we were? It came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that thou art the God in Israel. Oh, my friend, let it be known this day. I don't say the urgency is because it's Friday night at Eastern Camp 2009. It is just as urgent today as it was last Friday. And God willing, if you shall see next Friday, it will be just as urgent then. The urgency is that you might die in the meantime. And die unprepared. And go into a Christless eternity. Because you refuse to worship the God who made you and loved you so much. Let it be known this day. That how long will you hold between two opinions? Leave your idols. Come to Christ. He is waiting for you. And he will empower you. Your idols are nothing. And less than nothing. And you know it. And God answered Elijah. And the people fell on their face. The Lord is the God. That's repentance. It is not a seven-step program or 10 or 12. It is on your face before God, the God who loves you, the God who desires to have fellowship with you. Won't you come?